You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 466, and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. I'm your co-host, Gemma Isroff. Listeners, we again have a duo today. Selena Small is a full-stack lead engineer at Fresho in Melbourne, Australia, who is particularly passionate about TDD. As a self-taught coder with a background in management, she is well-equipped to mentor others. In her spare time, she is a Nak Moy Yang professional kickboxer, which is absolutely so, so cool. Michael Malevsky is a developer keen on the people side of things. He loves pairing and in particular with people new to writing software. He especially likes driving software out with tests and directing the evolution of the design. In his spare time, he does a bit of running, camping, and watching any one of his four kids excel beyond anything he ever managed to achieve. Well, listeners, you know how much we love having first-time guests on the show, and today it is a duo. So welcome to the Ruby on Rails podcast, Michael and Selena. Hi, thanks for having us. Michael, what is your developer origin story? I suppose it's always kind of been in the family. So my father, he was a mechanical engineer in Poland back in the 60s and 70s, and one of the first computers came there, and he decided to program it. When we came to Australia, my sister followed in his footsteps doing a computer science degree. So it was just normal for me to also do a computer science degree when I went to uni. Interestingly, we didn't actually have too many computers and opportunities to program whilst at home. My father was kind of a little bit anti that, maybe just getting his kids to kind of go outside and and do things like that. So it was really at uni that I actually started to write some code. I did a double degree in mechanical engineering and computer science and finished back in the year 2000. And since then, I've kind of just uh, worked here and there for five years at a time in various jobs. At some point, picked up the whole idea of Agile. And at the time, we also learned Ruby on Rails and have kind of been more in that startup space for probably the last 15 years or so. I love that. Selena, of course, it is your turn. What is your developer origin story? So mine's really different to Michael. I didn't have anyone in my family who wrote code. In fact, when I went to uni, I went to study landscape architecture, spent a couple of years doing that, kind of decided it wasn't for me, went and studied business instead, started running nightclubs, bars and restaurants, like I was a cocktail waitress for a long time, spent about four years running a late night bar that was kind of open till seven in the morning, six days a week, really hectic, full on and living the lifestyle that goes with it. But somewhere along the line, I kind of went, well, I'm tired. I feel old and I'm only 23. So I packed it in, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do next. And what happened was one of the regulars at my bar had come in and have a drink in the evening. He was a coder and he started telling me about his day job. And I was like, what? Is that a job? People do that. That's weird. And that's kind of how I got into code. So he started teaching me some basic stuff. He started sending me some problems through Facebook Messenger because he'd moved overseas by this point. And so I'd go off and find the answers to these things. It was stuff like go find out how to traverse a linked list, go find out what is von human architecture, you know, all that kind of stuff. I got really into it. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Now that I look back at it, I don't know why. Obviously, it kind of spoke to me. And then we kind of got into more serious stuff actually writing some code. He helped me write my first program. It was a little dice game with a assembly 68K. 
And then we moved on to some C, we wrote some chat servers, and then he introduced me to Ruby. Ruby was quite easy to pick up without much prior knowledge. Got into Rails, had a go at writing some code on my own, and he introduced me to a lot of other people. He kind of mentored me and encouraged me a lot to go out and try things and talk to people and network and go to meetups. And eventually I landed my first role. That's great. Junior developer was one of his friends who had started a startup. It only lasted about six weeks because I couldn't really do anything. Lost that job. That was disastrous. And around the same time that I started coding, I also started kickboxing. So it all kind of happened at the same time and everything sort of started taking off at the same time as well. So once I landed my first kind of permanent role, that's around the same time that I started getting a whole lot of fights. It was great. This is back when I lived in New Zealand. Did that for kind of a year and a half and then came over to Melbourne to work for Fresho. Came in as a fairly fresh developer compared to some of the guys like Michael, who'd been an engineer for 20 years. And I'm coming in here with a year and a half experience. But the way we work, a lot of pair programming means that I kind of fast tracked. And last year, well, sort of the kickboxing and the coding kind of went hand in hand for a really long time, right? And when one thing goes well, the other thing goes well. And when one thing goes bad, the other thing goes bad. A lot of stories from that, but the kind of peak for me so far has been last year where I finally was promoted to a team lead role and also won the Victoria State Championship for the WBC, 15.3 kilo. Congratulations, Selena. I've done hundreds of origin stories on the show and yours has to be one of the absolute most unique. One follow-up question I have for you is this mentor invested so much time into helping you learn how to code. Is this something that they did for other people or did they just take a special interest in you? Because we need more people like that in the Ruby community. And I love that for you. Oh, absolutely. We need more people like that in the tech community generally. He has done it for other people as well. Not everyone's been kind of successful, but he tends to go for underdogs. She really likes to kind of back the women or people who have come from a disadvantaged background, but are really keen to try and learn and get some experience and some exposure. He's done really well for himself as well. He's now a CEO at a big AR firm, but he still kind of mentors people on the side. So we heard that you two met at Fresho from what you just said, Selena. Were you working on the same team and how did you start giving talks together? So when I started at Fresho, we were a really small team, a little startup. The whole company was 20 people. The engineering team was eight and we were eight for actually quite a really long time. And in that, the way that we worked was that we would pair program. We were quote unquote 100% pair programming. And when you're kind of in a pair programming environment, you sort of end up kind of naturally pairing with the same few people again and again. Like we do try to kind of rotates throughout the whole team, but you kind of gravitate or wind up working with the same people. And so Michael and I worked together a lot pairing for the first couple of years. And Michael was super into the community in Melbourne. I was obviously new to Melbourne because I'd come from New Zealand. So he knew a lot of things that were going on and events and I wanted to learn. So he told me that he was going to a meetup one time. I went along with him. We all went to a few rails camps and I think somewhere along the line, one of the meetups, I decided to give a talk. Michael had to one-up me, so he started giving talks. And somewhere along the line, it turned into us giving talks together. <laughs> yeah, and I think kind of reflecting back to that time, I mean, one, we were seated next to each other. So in a small dev team of eight, we were kind of always 
just having our own little banter going on as well. And I think even though I'd been in the Ruby community for a long time, I hadn't actually given talks. I hadn't actually stepped up or followed through. I'm a big procrastinator. So I think what happened was you gave that first talk. As you said, I was like, well, I'll give a talk as well. And just happened that they were going to both on the same night. And after that, we had a very particular way of some of the things we did at Fresho. And we said, hey, this is actually worth sharing. Why don't we do this as a talk together? And I think that's kind of what's ended up working really well where, you know, we together, I've got a lot more drive just to keep working on whatever the project it is that we're working, keep running it to a finish. So and mostly because Selena's kind of slave driving that part of the story. Even tonight, we pulled out the computer. We're doing some coding. We actually did some coding and I'm also scared of her. So I also make sure that I keep up my part of the bargain. So I think the other night we had a bit of an argument about how something compiles. And I went off and had to fix it because I was like, okay, it's fine now. So I think that's kind of part of that duality of our pairing and why it's lasted for such a long time in doing talks. So how do you translate that into putting together conference talks? Because we've seen over the years that sometimes RailsConf, RubyConf, a lot of these big conferences like RubyConf AU, you can come in with two speakers. And Gemma, I would actually like your thoughts on this as well, because I know you've done a few duo talks. What's the right and wrong of pursuing a duo talk at a conference? Well, you need to go into it with a really open mind and be prepared. There will be tears. There's a lot of arguments. There's a lot of negotiation. I think pair programming, our experience with that really helps us with this because there are some really similar aspects to it, right? So, you know, as someone who might be nervous going into their first talk, would you recommend they start out with a duo talk or is actually doing a duo talk advanced version of giving a conference talk? Well, yes and no, right? Duo talk can be absolutely next level. Like I just said, there's a lot of negotiation. There's a lot of pressure for you to expose your raw ideas to somebody else and defend them and potentially let them go which can make it really hard. It's a lot easier to do a talk on your own because you don't have to worry about what someone else wants to do. You just do what you want to do, right? But I mean, having another person, there's a lot of fun. There's a lot of energy just from having another person there. So if you do have someone who you gel really well with, then obviously that's a great option. But I can imagine it's not that easy to find. As an engineering manager or an engineer, too much of your time gets sucked up with downtime issues, troubleshooting, and error tracking. How can you spend more time shipping code and less time putting out fires? This is a question I'm always asking myself. Well, Honey Badger is how. It's a suite of monitoring tools made specifically for developers. It's the only system that combines error monitoring, uptime monitoring, and cron and heartbeat monitoring into one clean, fast interface. Sure. You can get familiar with any interface, but why waste your time learning some Franken-style interface that looks like an airline cockpit when what you need is clarity and speed? You won't know if Honey Badger will really save you time and trouble until you can see how it works in your own tool chain. With two lines of code and five minutes, you can see for yourself. Honey Badger automatically hooks into popular web frameworks like Ruby on Rails, job systems, authentication libraries, and front-end JavaScript. Imagine fixing errors before your users can even report them. Five minutes of your time with a free trial is all it takes to see if it will work for you. It just might be the best five minutes you've spent in a long while. Check out honeybadger.io.
I think one of the things, and it's you, Selena, often that say this is whenever we do a talk, there has to be a reason to have two people. And I suppose the reverse of this we've noticed, not for any fault of the speakers, but we've a number of times seen a talk where it's like, it's my talk. And when I'm taking a drink, you can fill in a couple of slides. And that often happens to work with the white male being the one who's like, it's my machine. I'll unlock it. I'll turn off the notifications. I'll help you to find where the slides are. And the other person is hanging in there. And it's interesting because no one notices, whereas we are so in tune, (laughs) we've picked up on this and that everyone just subconsciously goes, oh yeah, the bloke has to turn the machine on or work out how to do this. It's like, no, there's no reason. It's just that it's his machine. So we've always edged towards either topics that require two people or a conversational style that require two people. It means we don't always cover as much information, but because we cover it in a different way, it actually ticks very different boxes. So people kind of like, oh, we were recently at a conference where the talks were 50 minutes. Now, 50 minutes is a long time. One of the things that came through from a number of people was it is hard to listen to one voice for 50 minutes. Your talk was great because you broke it up because we were conversational style. We're talking about testing, but it was like me building an app and Selena kind of directing me how to test and then us trying to do some pair programming in there as well. But it meant it was much easier for people to listen to because it had that change of speed that changed that conversation style. And some of the feedback that came back as well was just the fact of having two different voices kept people awake because some people are going to respond really well to this voice and others are going to respond to that voice. But back to what Michael said, we're hypersensitive and hyper aware of what is the dynamic like for us when we submit proposals, when we're on stage, when we're talking, giving the presentation, we actually script our talks out quite extensively to make sure that one of us doesn't run off on a tangent and leave the other one behind because chances are it's going to be Michael who runs off on a tangent and I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. And that's just a terrible look for me as a woman. And in particular, Michael's a huge tall man (laughs) and I'm a tiny little lady. And so he already has a massive stage presence compared to me. He's got a big, strong voice. And if he does most of the talking, in fact, if he does half of the talking, it still seems like it's more of his talk. We try to make sure that when we submit the talk, my name goes first. Most of the time we get a response to Michael. I'll do most of the talking. Most of the questions still come back to Michael. And sometimes we'll try to stand in a position where maybe I'm a little bit more present, particularly in photos, but the community is learning. I love how thoughtful you are being about it. And I also like that you're treating it like an endurance workout. Now, Gemma, I know you've done several duo talks. So do you have any insight on whether or not they are harder or easier for you? I've just done one. I think for me, putting it together was a lot more difficult, but being on stage was a lot easier. It really helped me with nerves to have someone else there who I knew and was comfortable with and not feel like I had to talk for 100% of the time for a whole segment. So I think I had a bit of a, yeah, clearly split experience there. But I will also say Selena and Michael both emceed RubyConf Australia together this year, and I loved their dynamic on stage. You could tell the intentionality behind neither of them taking up the full space. I didn't at all feel like one of them had more space on the stage than the other. 
I love that. Well, let's direct this next question to Selena. So tell us about your love of pair programming. We've had many advocates on the show for it. I'm just curious, aside from the common loves and costs of pair programming, what kind of insights can you give the listeners about why people should be using pair programming? Well, one of the really big reasons that I use pair programming or that I love pair programming is that I, through pair programming, have absolutely excelled in my skills in a really short period of time. Just learning from other people's experiences. Like I mentioned, when I came into Fresh O, I was fairly green, but I was able to keep up in a relatively short period of time. So in just a couple of years, I've gained so much experience from my peers. It also teaches you other skills as well like how to be vulnerable, how to create a really safe environment because you have to be ready to expose, like I said earlier, your raw thoughts at the time when they come into your head and take that feedback and that criticism that maybe what you're suggesting is not the best possible thing and maybe something better can happen as a result of working with another person. Michael, how can pair programming go wrong? (laughs) Clearly haven't paired with me before. There is so many things that can just go wrong. There are so many opportunities in our life where we choose to do anything by ourselves, whether that's washing the dishes at home or cooking a dinner or chopping a carrot. Like people will have different opinions. And as Selena mentioned, the first thing you've got to do is be vulnerable. The second thing you've got to do is understand it takes time to do things. Very rarely are you going to find somebody who maybe works at a pace that agrees with your thinking pace. And when it turns around, most likely your writing pace won't be up to that other person's thinking pace. So you've then got to go, all right, if I'm comfortable with the way that they're thinking, writing and doing everything, most likely they're going to be uncomfortable with my rate of typing and knowing shortcuts or knowing the Ruby API or whatever language I'm doing. So Fundamentally, it's quite easy to think, right, just be understanding, spend time, have time away from each other. But as soon as you don't do those, that's when it does go wrong, when either somebody drives too quickly. And I mean, it doesn't even have to be pairing. You can have a project where everyone thinks they know what they're doing, but all of a sudden the whole team goes on a tangent for two weeks. And at the end of that, the product manager says, I thought we were doing this. I thought this was the critical thing. And the whole team has kind of gone off path. So certainly understanding that it's going to be hard, it's going to take time, it's going to be tiring, having breaks, making sure you're very understanding of the space around you. You know, I still have people come back to me. They feel scarred that I used to ride my bike and rock up in Lycra and sit in the office till lunchtime in Lycra, at which stage you'd make the decision to, well, it's two o'clock. Like, do I really change out of Lycra now? I have to get back into it at 5.30? But obviously, yes, the correct answer is probably get changed out of your sporting gear because 10, 20 years later, people will come back at you and say, oh, yeah, I remember you standing in a lacquer next to me. It was making me feel very uncomfortable. So all of those things, even little things like eating at the keyboard. And as we're all working at home, we think, oh, I can have a snack, maybe a slightly sticky snack. But if you're ever in person with that other person, then that's probably not on. But even... There was actually one time where we almost were never going to do a talk together or talk to each other again due to eating. What was the food of choice? Now I have to know. Michael thought it'd be really funny one day. I can't stand listening to people eat. People with their mouth open when they're eating, like it just really gets to me. I don't know why, but it does. 
So Michael thought it'd be really funny one day to just come in with this crispy, fresh apple and just like right next to me, just take a big bite. Oh, it was so inappropriate. But that's not the only inappropriate thing that happens, right? There's so many distractions that go on at the pairing desk. Michael, you had an experience with someone clipping their nails? Yeah, so one of the talks we do together is actually exactly this. A pairing session that we do, it's somebody's first day, and we do all the wrong things. We have a keyboard hog, we do this, that, and the other. And at one point, it kind of looks like everything's going well, and my character pulls out some nail clippers, and, and I always have to grow my nails, so it's got to be legit. I've actually got to be cutting my nails. And it's this moment where Selena stops, she's looking at me, the whole crowd is like, hang on, something's going on. Is he knowing what he's doing? Because I think a lot of people think he's actually just clipping his nails because I am actually clipping my nails. And I'm doing that there. And people afterwards go, oh, that never happens. And I said, well, actually everything in our talk has happened. And there was a time somebody came back from holiday at my desk. We're pairing one keyboard, one computer in this case. And this person said, no, you type. And I'm like typing. And then I look across and sure enough, they're clipping their nails and putting the nails on my table. <laughs> At this point, I'm just shocked and I look around like Selena's kind of across the room and she happens to see and I'm like, what do I do with this? Clearly, I asked the guy if he's going to clip his toenails next. He said, no, no that's too far. See, I find the story completely believable because I had a boss who clipped and painted her toenails during a weekly check-in. So it could happen to you listeners. So take this as a cautionary tale. Be ready for your reaction when it happens to you. Sorry, one extra caution. If you're remote pairing, people can hear it through the microphone. Yeah, we've had at least two people own up to us that they've been kind of caught out on the remote pairing and they've said, oh, it must be just my cradle for the microphone rocking or something. This episode is also brought to you by Scout APM. Scout is an industry leader in application performance monitoring. This low overhead tool is designed to help Ruby developers find and fix performance issues. Scout's intuitive UI and tracing logic ties bottlenecks to specific lines of code and allows you to quickly pinpoint and resolve issues like N plus one queries, slow database queries, memory bloat, and more. Scout's unlimited seats and applications allow teams to collaborate without additional costs and makes it easy for any member of your team to become a performance pro. See for yourself why developers worldwide call Scout their best friend with a free 14-day trial, no credit card needed. As a special offer for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. Learn more at scoutapm.com slash rubyonrails. Now, we had Adam Pelosi on episode 450, and in that episode, he talked a little bit about the Australian Ruby community, but I want to hear from you, Michael and Selena. What are the differences? Is the Ruby community like really US-centric? Are you seeing any changes out there? Like, how was that conference? I know Gemma was lucky enough to attend it. Would love your thoughts around that. In Australia, we're very Melbourne-centric. Australia is not as big as the US, but we cut it up into about seven different states with two or three main capitals, Melbourne being one of the state capitals, Sydney the other one, Brisbane probably another one, of which Melbourne seems to have by far the most Ruby developers. We have companies like Redbubble, Zendesk, our kind of main real estate place that have at some time or still do use a lot of Ruby on Rails and obviously every startup in between. So... I think we're very fortunate to be in Melbourne. 
have this very accepting community that's very forward thinking. I think things like Rails Camp started in the Australian Ruby on Rails community, which is this whole idea of going away for a weekend to code with people. We have a lot of meetups that, again, are very open to anybody doing a talk about anything and have been at the forefront of kind of making sure there's diversity in organizers, diversity in the kind of food, drinks, things very inclusive with name tags and things like that. And I say that because I have in the meantime seen other meetups in other communities and just like, oh my God, this is just hobbyists on a particular kind of other language or maybe like a specialist language. Whereas Ruby, you came in there and very, very inviting, very diverse group of people. Everyone's happy to talk. I don't know if it's the same as the US. I mean, we've been to RailsConf in the US once in 2019 to do a testing workshop, but I felt the community there was slightly different, not in a bad way, like quite energized, doing a lot of cool stuff as well. Maybe it was just because it was different that it felt fun. Yeah. The other thing to note about the kind of Ruby community here, Michael kind of touched on it with diversity, but all the kind of meetups and conferences and everything that I've been to, my experience, it's like 50-50 or almost more women than men that come along. And they're also super open to people who are like career changers who are learning Ruby on Rails. There are a lot of those kind of people in the community as well. That's incredible to hear. Why do you think that is? I think partly it kind of feeds itself. I think once you've got things like Rails Girls, once you've got the whole idea of like a get yourself up and running with Rails, you end up creating a community that has people that are keen to mentor because they've either seen people mentor or been mentored themselves. So then they all of a sudden jump in and say, right, I want to do that. I want to do that for somebody else. Whereas I think in certain other communities, they might strive more for either academic driven or finance driven. And maybe a lot of programming languages and communities are pretty hard to get into. Whereas if you look at Rails and that whole idea of convention over configuration, you can just follow this tutorial, you get up and running, you've got a website, like that's amazing. You published on the net. Yeah, it's very accessible. We know you two also have a busy few months coming up of lots of speaking engagements. Can you tell us where you'll be? Later this month, we're going to be in Miami Beach, Florida Woo! for ReactConf. A couple of days later, we're going to be shooting up to Atlanta for RailsConf. So that's really exciting. That's a little mini tour of our pairing talk that we sort of mentioned earlier. And then in May, we're going to be heading over to Japan for Ruby Kagi and we'll be seeing you, Gemma, there as well. Yeah, I'm super excited to see you both again in Japan at Kagi. Yeah, awesome. I mean, the theory goes that we will code for swag. So any conference, and I say that with a slight environmental tinge of maybe we shouldn't have as much swag as we sometimes do, but certainly you get us to a conference and with an opportunity to win a t-shirt. Yeah. So Selena's just pointing, there's a huge monster remote control Lego Technics truck in the background, which she won that at a competition. Mind you, there was a lot of work to actually make that work. They told me to win by any means necessary, and I did. A lot of work by Michael. Thank you for that. We do have a few other events coming up later in the year as well. CPP North in Toronto. We're looking for something in Europe in September, potentially Albuquerque later in the year. And we've also just had a confirmation now for another React conference in Amsterdam. 
That sounds like an amazing tour. And I'm excited to meet you both in person at RailsConf in Atlanta. So hopefully I'll see you at the live podcast panel that we'll be hosting there. As we get close to wrapping up, what are your thoughts on the future of the Ruby and Ruby on Rails communities? It's a hard one because often there's newer and cooler things out there. And the more newer things you have, the more frameworks you can launch in a year, the more kind of noise you'll make on Twitter or wherever you're posting these things. But I suppose we're now at that point where it's nice to see a a longstanding Rails project somewhere. So where I work at the moment, which is Zepto, which is a payments platform. We're kind of looking at replatforming. We've got some consultants in and looking at various options that we have. And no one's actually saying to get off rails. We're actually saying, you know what? The new platform will still have probably quite a large amount of rails in it, or at least Ruby, because replatforming the team And the ideas behind that is bigger than just saying, hey, I want to try a new language. So I think it's like this kind of midlife, like we've done the hard yards. We've got all the people on. We're not necessarily in the clubs as trendy as some people might think, but we are still a very consistent way of one, learning and bringing career switches into programming to there's a lot of companies using us. And I think on that career switching thing, I think that's not to be underestimated. It's not like well, we're all computer science people with a few kind of stragglers that have come in. I actually think career switches may become, especially with things like ChatGPT and Copilot and a lot more AI in the future, you're actually going to be wanting people who are more specialist in the domain that they're programming for rather than being specialist programmers. And I think that maybe something like Ruby with its opinionated ways of doing it, sorry, Rails in particular, but Ruby with its accessibility may actually be positioned in a reasonably good place to be taken advantage of that way. Yeah. And I think there's still a lot of good stuff coming out for Ruby and for Rails. There's some new, new cool things that have come out this year for both of them. Like Michael said, it's really accessible. The place where I'm working as well, we are a Ruby on Rails project. We do actually have a spa and we've decided actually a couple of years ago now, and we're still on track for this to rip out that spa and just go back to plain old Rails wherever possible. If we don't need JavaScript, why would we bother with that extra level of effort and work because Rails and Ruby is so easy to maintain and to build and to make changes, right? That makes a lot of sense to me. And just as we wrap up here, how can listeners follow you? Since we like to pair and we like to test a lot, what drives us is failure. Fail first, fail fast, fail often. So we are failure-driven.com. You can find our website there. We're also on Twitch, failure underscore driven. We are both on Twitter. So I'm Selena Small 88. And I'm Ceramic, S-A-R-A-M-I-C, which is a combination of my wife's name and my name, Sarah and Michael, Ceramic. And I took that from Debian because Debian was by Deb and Ian. So I was like, oh, yeah. But a lot of people ask, like, where does that come from? Oh, is it Ceramic? I thought it would be with a C. There you go. And if you want to keep up with our crazy tour and that's happening at the moment you can find us on sessionize as well so that will list all of our upcoming events so i'm selena dash small and michael is michael dash malefsky on sessionize but maybe we may actually update our failure driven website or somebody out there can help us and we could actually add some of these links onto that as well 
Well, this is perfect. I just saw someone tweet out yesterday that they were looking for people who were live streaming Ruby and Rails. So I'm going to go into that Twitter thread now and put that note in. So now you're going to have to update it. So, you know, it's going to be public on the Internet and, of course, for the show notes as well. Listeners, as you've also figured out as well, this episode was recorded at 11 o'clock at night and it's six o'clock in the morning. And so I just want to thank this whole crew for coming together. This was such a fun conversation. And Selena and Michael, I want to wish you just safe travels on your World Conference tour. Thank Thank you. Thank you for having us on. It's been a pleasure chatting with both of you. And look forward to seeing both of you in person very soon. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.